You know, everyone experiences moment. Everyone in this life experiences moment uh, times when they need help. Happens to everybody. It, if it hasn't happened to you, it will happen to you. I'm sure it has. But there, there are always times when we we have to ask for help when we require assistance from others because of some deficiency with us, something that we cannot supply. You know, and oftentimes, I think I've lived long enough now, I know that that is a part of God's providence. God made people for people. And yet again, just to let you know, when I say God, I'm talking about the God of the sacred Holy Bible. Not any other God, but the God who reveals himself through the scriptures. Help is good. And it's healthy for us to ask for help. Oftentimes we're able to assist one another. But there are times, as many of you know, when no human person can help you. There are moments when your soul needs care that only God can supply. The psalm for today is Psalm 121, and in it, the writer gives us great help for such a dilemma. Hear God's word, Church of the Atonement, from Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills, and where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the covenant name of God, the absoluteness of who the Lord is. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Our Father and our God, we ask that by your Spirit you would give us light to see, to be different, to know you deeply, and to walk out of here different people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are four things that this psalm gives us this morning. Four things that I want you to hear. Write them down if you can. And think about them through this week. There are four things that we are given. They are these. We are given a statement. We are given a, conf- we are given a question. We are given a confession. And we are given an explanation of precious comfort and great news. We are given a statement. We are given a question. We are given a confession. And we are given an explanation of precious comfort and great news. In verse 1, we'll say verse 1a, the psalm writer gives us a statement, a declaration. He says, I will lift up my eyes 
to the hills. It's a description of an action, quite obvious. He's looking up. My immediate question whenever I was studying for this is, well, what makes this particular action so significant for the psalmist? In the New American Standard Bible, the NAS, it translates this statement as this. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains and the hills surrounding me. Well, I told you that this was a psalm of ascents. It says it right there at the very beginning. And no one really knows exactly what this means now. But most think it pertains to uh, journeying up to the Temple Mount. Now, one of the things I want you to, to know is that Jerusalem sits on top of a hill. And it's in the land of Judea, which is a very mountainous and hilly country. So even in going up to the Temple Mount, which is up high, it's in now what's called the old city of Jerusalem, which is inside of the the, the new city of Jerusalem. Pardon me. Name Tag Sunday wanted to have a little more presence here. <laughs> so, the psalmist, most think that, you know, these psalms of ascent, there are 15 of them, that they were written while Israel, while uh, uh, the southern kingdom was in exile. But the psalm writer says he looks up to the mountains. And as I told you, you know, if you were journeying through the land of Judea, you're going to see these mountains. You're going to see these tall hills around. And after saying, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, he asks a question. The second thing I want you to see, we are given a question in verse 1b. From where does my help come? You know, it's an honest question. He has a, a need. It reveals a need. It reveals limitation. It reveals the frailty of human life, the extent to which we are able to go and when it stops, when our strength can go no further. Think about the question in relation to the first statement. I will look to the hills, and then from where does my help come? Well, the the obvious answer is not the hills, (laughs) Not the mountains. Neither one of those can help me. They cannot assist me in the need that I have. You know, I am a North Carolinian, and I have lived up in the Appalachian Mountains. I lived up on top, I call it up, up in the mountains. I lived on top of Beach Mountain, and it's, they're beautiful. You know, they're big mountains. They're, they're old. But I traveled out west a few times and once drove across the country with some friends, and Then I was exposed to the Rocky Mountains, and they are much more massive than the Appalachian Mountains. I hate to have to admit that, but they are. And they're grand. They are magnificent. But they can't talk to you. And all we can really do is admire their majesty. They cannot speak to the deepest hurts 
cares, pains, and yearnings of your soul. But one thing those mountains do is they point up beyond themselves to one much greater. And that is the confession I want you to see in number three. We are given a confession in verse two. The psalm writer confesses, my help comes from the Lord. The Lord who made, who created the heavens and the earth. My help comes from the one who created those mountains that I'm looking at. God created the stars, the comets, the clouds, the sun, the moon, the mountains, the valleys, the oceans, the rivers, the streams, the atoms that hold your bodies together. God created all of that. The cool air that we experience even in here, the warm air, God is the creator of all things, and that is where my help comes from. There's no doubt the psalmist speaks from personal knowledge, from personal experience. He knows God to be God. In the summer of 2001, I went with uh, my college ministry, Campus Outreach. There were 18 of us uh, from various colleges. I went to South Africa. It was the first time I had ever been on an airplane. Uh, the guy at the, uh, when, you know, you're checking in for your tickets and stuff, I said, you know, because I was nervous, this is my first time being on an airplane. He said, well, you sure picked a long one. <laughs> it's great comfort. But while we, the purpose for us being there was we went on to the college campus, the college, uh, the campus of the University of Pretoria, and we went into these dormitories. We didn't know these students. And of course, there were guys and there were girls and We shared the the gospel of Christ with them. We got to know them. We played sports with them. We hung out. But we went as missionaries. We went as little miniature Pauls, so to speak. And we got to know people. And one young man that I was evangelizing, we were out on the soccer fields uh, at the University of Pretoria, and they were very, very nice. I mean, you know, it's just beautiful there. It really is. And, you know, I'm trying to witness to this brother, and he told me, you know, I, I, I know God exists, but, but I'm not a Christian. I said, well, now you're going to have to help me with that because I don't understand. How is it that you know God exists and yet you're not a Christian? And I will never forget the answer that he gave me. Imagine, you know, you're out on a field. Like all of this around here, let's say from at least a mile all the way around, is nothing but flat field, green, pretty, he, he walked out of space, and he lifted up his hands, and he said, who made all this? I thought, wow. The Lord is my help, the psalm writer says. The maker of heaven and earth. The Lord is my help. Is the Lord your help? Is the Lord your help. This leads to the fourth thing I want you to see today. We are given an explanation of precious comfort and great news in verses 3 through 8. We are given an explanation of precious comfort and great news in verses 3 through 8. And the short summary of all those verses is this. God is always ready 
God is constantly available. God is ever present. God is always ready. God is constantly available. God is ever present. In verses 3 through 4, you see that the Lord maintains the stability of your life. He will not let your foot move. He will not let it slip. God keeps you established. He keeps you alive. And that goes for the believer in God, the believer in Christ, and the unbeliever in God. The Lord does not sleep. He he doesn't require sleep. He doesn't get tired. He's never fatigued. But you, you, you sleep. You get tired. You get fatigued, don't you? God is never, ever in a place where he needs rest. He doesn't take it. We are the creature and God is the creator. God is the sustainer of all of life. The vigilance of the Lord is eternal. The psalmist reports here in Psalm 121 that the Lord keeps Israel. Now that word keeps occurs a number of times here in the psalm. He keeps Israel. The Lord watches over his people. In verses 5 through 8, we see several things of what the Lord does, what he is in relation to his people. The Lord is your keeper. Well, how is the Lord your keeper? In verse 5a, it says the Lord is your keeper. It says the Lord watches over you all the time. God is absolutely up to date on every single aspect of your life. Did you know that? Now, some of you might think, now, Terrence, this is a bit elementary. Well, I hope it is. And this is the reason why. We do not bombard the throne of heaven with prayer unceasingly because we don't know God to be our keeper. We don't rely on God as we ought as our protector, as the one who keeps watch over his people. Oftentimes in the world that we live in today, we're quite comfortable with our jobs, our families, our life, our comforts. And then some sort of crisis occurs, and it's like God has never existed at all. The psalmist says the Lord is your keeper. God knows when you are angry. He knows when you are worn out, when you're frustrated, when you're fed up, when you're hungry, when you're sad, when you're happy. God is absolutely aware of every thought that you think, of every move that you make, and of every desire that you feel. The Lord keeps you. What else does that mean, psalm writer? In verse 5b, the psalm writer says, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. It means God overshadows you. I can remember as a child and as a teenager, you know I'm from the country. I love to tell you all that I'm from North Carolina because it helps me remember that I'm from North Carolina. (laughs) And one day I'll return to North Carolina. But I can remember being out, I'm from the country, being out in the country whether I was working in my grandmother's garden or uh, just out playing. 
I can remember on beautiful, bright, sunny days, blue sky and those large, puffy, white, cumulus clouds floating by. And every now and again, one would cover the sun. It'd go between the sun and me. And I am shielded from the sun's rays. I'm granted some shade. The psalm writer says, God is your shade. The psalm, I didn't say this in the beginning, but it's, it's a psalm of comfort. It's a song, they sang it, of comfort. Something that we are to sing and think about and meditate on and embrace so that it becomes a part of our spiritual bloodstream. The Lord is your protector, verse 6 teaches. The Lord stands between you and destruction. He keeps you. He protects you. Thus the sun nor the moon shall strike you. Verse 7 says, The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. Well, God loves his people. And he demonstrates that from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. He loves his people so much. You know, John 3.16 just popped in my head. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Into the turmoil of a humanity that hated him, the son became one of us that God might keep us. God keeps his people even to this very moment in time in history. And you know, God intends for us to love him, to obey him, to know him deeply, to get into his word on a daily basis so that we will understand in the vicissitudes of life, that just means the comings and goings of life, we'll understand that God is our good. God is our good. All of life is for God. It's for God's glory and it's for our good. But this is for those who know God. God will keep you from all evil, but you may say, so much tragedy has happened to me, Terrence. I've had a lot of hurt. I've had a lot of pain. There have been times I've not been happy with what God has brought into my life. I've encountered such deep heartbreak. Well, the psalmist reports this. The Lord will preserve your soul. He'll preserve your very soul. He'll keep it. He'll keep your life. Your life is always in the hands of God, and that's a good thing. When God keeps your life, calamity, tragedy, pain, suffering, disease, will never destroy your soul. We go through a lot in this lifetime, you all. The body deals with great pain at times. The heart deals with incredible hurt. But for the believer in the Lord Jesus, he sustains you. He comforts you in the deepest, darkest moments of your life wasn't going to say this, but I am going to say it. You know, some people say, don't use illustrations about yourself, but you know, I, I know me. When I was in college, my, my last 
year there, I was in my college, I was in my dorm room, having a quiet time. I was reading a passage out of Isaiah 61, and I, I'll never forget. I was reading, and it was just the Holy Spirit, who of course was present, but He became more palpably present, and I just began to weep because I knew Him to be close. I knew Him to be comforter. What I didn't know was He did that because some. Very, very difficult things were yet to happen. Just a few days later, and God Almighty preserved me during that time so that I could help some others. Trials will never destroy your souls, brothers and sisters. And here the Apostle Paul teaches us a valuable lesson in Romans chapter 8. He says in verses 35 to 39 of Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? This is a man who had his head cut off. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, the King James says, and I like to say that. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us From the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's good news. All around in this world, we see pain and suffering. We experience it. And yet the Lord will keep you. Well, verse 8 has some great news, some more great news. He says, the Lord will keep, the Lord will protect your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And it means this. God will keep you from now and throughout all of eternity. When I was growing up, I know I've said this, like I'm going to say it again. I heard my ancestors sing about heaven. Now, my ancestors were slaves in this country. And my relatives, of course, uh, continued to sing some of the songs that they sang. But the thing that stood out to me as a child was, They sang about heaven. In the midst of difficult times, they sang about heaven. And the Spirit of God Almighty kept them through hurt, harm, and danger. And Matthew 28, verse 20, before our Lord ascends to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he tells his disciples this, and the Spirit of God says it to us today. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with you. What might your life look like if you dared to trust God to be your keeper? If you dared to depend on him? I mean, cry out to him when your heart is greatly overwhelmed. I dare you. This week, today. Call out to God Almighty. He's not asleep. 
He's very present. He's quite awake. He waits for you. He's always available. Church of the Atonement, he, he watches over you. He wants you to trust him. God wants you to depend on him. And God wants you to know that he is good, that he is the truth, that he is the way, and that he is the life. Let's pray together. May our hope be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. May I trust in no no sweeter frame, but may we wholly lean on Jesus' name. In Christ, the solid rock, we stand. Father, your word is a rock. our, Our God, you are our rock. And Lord, I pray for this, your people, that this day, this week, this year, and the years to come, they would be a people who know you to be their keeper, their protector, the great comfort for their souls in times of good experience and times of painful experience. I pray, God, that you would bless these, your people. Oh, to know you well. Oh, Lord, we'll never be what we ought to be until we trust you for everything. Lord, keep us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.